Well, we have prayed before the service, for the service. We've prayed in the service for the time of worship, for the giving. I invite you to pray with me for this time of yielding to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, in the next few moments as we crack open your scripture, may you crack open our hearts and allow us to receive what you have to say there. If there's any hardness, if there's any uh, barrier, would you melt it, break it, open it wide so that we can uh, not under, just understand intellectually what you're saying, but that we can really receive it, be changed by it, and leave here actually different because of it. We need your grace to do that, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The question I want to put before you today is should you fear death? Should you fear death? I think with uh, a lot of what we've been dealing with this year and COVID-19, death has been on our radar maybe more than other years. And in light of that, I think it's a question that we should visit. How are we supposed to look at death? Now, I'm I'm not here to tell you that we shouldn't uh, be concerned with COVID-related deaths. I am wanting to say that I think there are other monster killers out there that are worse. We've just gotten used to them. Next time you're pumping gas and you see someone walk out of the convenience store wearing a mask and carrying a bag of mini donuts and a Slurpee, you can be struck by the irony that there's a worse threat that we've warmed up to and a lesser threat that we've not yet warmed up to. That doesn't mean one is not a threat, it just means there's threats everywhere. Strokes, heart attacks, accidents, respiratory disease, diabetes. And so as we're masked, we may also want to consider how we eat when we leave here. But as we think about all those different ways to die, how common they are, if you go up and go ahead and look up the numbers, if you look up the numbers, even if the COVID deaths are inflated, probably are, just my opinion, I'm not a professional, those other ones I mentioned still by far outnumber anything related to COVID-19. You can die today. Now you might leave here and go, oh, that's kind of a morbid... Uh, sermon. Yeah, it is. Morbid means death, and that's the topic. We don't want to ignore death, pretend it doesn't exist, fool ourselves into thinking we're guaranteed tomorrow because we're not. And it has nothing to do with COVID-19. It's the frailty of humanity. It's the death that was introduced in the garden because of our own sin. And if you say, well, that was Adam and Eve's sin, not my sin, you need to read Romans again. Death is here because of us, and it faces all of us. The question is not whether you will die. The question is, does it sting? The question is, do you fear it? And that's not to say we shouldn't take precautions. 
Uh, the application to the sermon today, to the text today, is not drive home, no seatbelts. You know, go on your motorcycle, no helmet. Eat whatever you want. Don't ever go see a doctor. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if death knocks at your door, do you fear it? Well, you might think, well, Christians should say, no, we shouldn't fear it, and then non-Christians should fear it. Yeah, well, they should fear it, but they wouldn't say that. Atheists, humanists, will tell you don't fear it, but for a different reason. They'll tell you, you know, if death is just slipping into a no consciousness, if death just means you don't exist anymore, what is there to fear? That's what they'll tell you. And that's an old philosophy. Epicurus introduced that 300 years before the writing of uh, the New Testament. Excuse me, the New Testament. And the idea is that, uh, you know, there's really no God that's over these things. You don't pass into a different life. There's no afterlife. There's just this life, and then you just are annihilated when you die. You just don't exist anymore. So why would you fear non-existence? Of course, for the Christian, the view is, no, actually... This life is only preparation for an afterlife, and you don't slip into a lack of consciousness. You'll be more conscious than you ever were before. But if you don't know Christ, the answer is yes, you should fear death. And Jesus himself, if you only read the red letters of the New Testament, you would get plenty to be scared about. If you don't know Christ, you're not a sheep, you're a goat. If you're cut off and thrown away to be burned, cast out into outer darkness. Yes, that's scary. And some in our day and age have grown allergic to fire and brimstone sermons, but I'm just talking about what the Bible is clear about, that there is an eternal death after this uh, first death that awaits those who are not in Christ. That should scare you almost to death. <laughs> I, I just want to be clear. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ or you're not sure if you do, you should have nightmares. The scariest thing facing you is not a virus. The scariest facing you is the multitude of ways that you can have this life ended and not be ready for the next one. And if you come here week after week and you're still not taking it seriously, well, shame on you. Figure it out. You do not have tomorrow, guaranteed. You don't have this afternoon, guaranteed. And so as we are facing a time where people are running around with their masks and giving up Thanksgiving with friends and family, and like we're, people are running around scared. I'm not telling you what to do or not to do in terms of protocols, but I'm telling you we shouldn't be running around scared. We should take advantage of the fact that people might be scared Tell them you should be scared and tell them why they should be scared. It's not what you're leaving behind. It's what you're going to. That is a danger to you. But for those of you who do know Christ, you shouldn't fear death. You should not fear it. Paul writes about death in a way where it's not just like, yeah, I've grown comfortable with the idea. He kind of wants it. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians, like I mentioned earlier, just going to, next three sermons, including today, that I'll preach to you will be from the book of Philippians. This one is going to take us to um, uh, chapter 1, 
starting in verse 18. And he's writing from probably a Roman prison. We know he's in prison. We don't know exactly where, but probably in Rome. He's writing from prison to a Roman colony of Philippi and the the church that meets there. And so the book is called Philippians because in this time there wasn't First Baptist Church of Philippi, Second Covenant Church of Philippi, PCA, you know, the Warehouse Church, the the OPC church. There was just the church in Philippi. (laughs) Uh, That's something we should consider when we get picky about which church to go to. But he's writing them. They're praying for him. They're concerned. He's not sure exactly how this is going to turn out. Well, he is, but we'll get to that in a minute. But he's facing execution. This is not a slap on the wrist. For his ministry, he's going to die. And it might be now in this situation. And so the topic is death, his possibly impending death, and he's writing them to encourage them and give them perspective on death. And he's writing about joy. He's being persecuted. He's been imprisoned. People out there, and it's hard to figure out the situation, but there's people out there preaching, not because they're Christian, but they know the more we preach, the more difficult it'll be for Paul in prison. They hate Paul. And he's like, well, they're out there preaching the Bible, though? It's like, yeah, but they hate you. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> More Bible preaching? Great. Christ is proclaimed? Awesome. I'm going to rejoice. And you know what's another reason I'm going to rejoice? And that's where we find the right in verse, the second part of verse 18. It says, yes, and I will rejoice for another reason. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance. What will? The persecution, the imprisonment, the people out there preaching, just making it worse for him. He should be increasingly fearful of death, but he's increasingly not fearful of death because of those things, because he knows he's going to be delivered. Now, we have to unpack this word a little bit, because the word delivered means saved, and you can take that different ways. Oftentimes it means saved spiritually. Does Paul mean, I know that this is going to turn out for my spiritual salvation? Well, I don't, I don't know. Being in prison and persecuted doesn't make you spiritually saved, so maybe not that. Does he mean it's for my escape from prison? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is, no matter what happens, I'm going to be vindicated. No matter what happens, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to be faithful and courageous to the end, that kind of deliverance whether it's in prison, out of prison, executed, released, either way. So you can read it, and I think it'll make sense as we continue to read the passage. He says, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. See, that his, the, the, the deliverance is from shame, but that with full courage, so the deliverance is from lack of courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored How? In my body, whether by life or by death. See? So he doesn't mean delivered from death, nor does he mean delivered through death to eternal life. He just means all of it. Kill me, Christ is honored. Let me live, Christ is honored. You can do nothing to me, Rome. Christ is going to be honored either way. You cannot kill Christianity. In fact, as you look at the globe and global history, the hotter persecution gets against Christianity, the more it grows. I mean, we should be embarrassed about the growth of Christianity in a place like China 
They, they, they would love to get their hands on a Bible. You know, and we're like, oh, where's mine? And he's saying, he's saying, death won't keep me from honoring Christ, and letting me live won't keep me from honoring Christ. In whichever situation, whatever the outcome, all of this is going to turn out for my deliverance. Christ is going to be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now here's the kicker, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What an off-quoted verse, but seldomly lived verse. How many of us can really, can really say to die is gain? I would gain by dying. Does Paul have a death wish? Kind of. Kind of. He does wish it. Paul would rather die. Because he gained something dying. That's what he says. I want to put it starkly that way for us to grapple with the fact that we, we know the verse, we hear the verse, we've read the verse many times, do we actually... Can we actually adopt that as a motto? To live as Christ and to die as gain? Paul makes it really clear that he's not talking about simply uh, his situation. I'm hungry, and they're not feeding me a lot in here. He's not going into any of those details. It doesn't matter to him. What matters to him is that he gains Christ and that Christ is honored. And the way he gets there, if you remember back in verse 19, it's not because he's so amazing. If you feel like, man, how do I get there? I can't adopt that as a model. How do I get there? You might need more people praying for you. He knows that because I'm an apostle, I can, no, be through your prayers. Next time somebody tells you sincerely, hey, I've been praying for you, we don't want to just throw that away and be like, yeah, but where were you? If they actually were praying for you, that's the best thing they can do. Because what rides the coattails of the prayers of the people? The help of the Spirit. That through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. How will he be delivered no matter what happens to him? Because the church is praying for him. And through the prayers of the church, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ himself is going to aid him and get him there. None of us can just walk out of here and be like, I'm going to adopt that motto, to death is gain. You can't. By yourself, you can't. You need to be prayed into it, and you need the Holy Spirit to get you there. May the Lord use these verses this morning to help get us there. May we pray right now in our hearts that the Spirit will help get us there. To adopt that motto, to die is gain. If I'm in Christ, to die is is gain. Unpacks that in 21 and 22. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I mean, he doesn't literally have the choice in front of him, but it's, it's like a hypothetical. If I were to choose, if it were put in front of me, A or B, live or get executed, he's like, I'm not sure. Are you serious, Paul? If the option was given to you, 
Leave prison right now. Gain another month, another year of your life. Get to see your friends. Get to preach in sermons and write more letters. Or get executed tomorrow. He's like, ah, when do you need the answer by? Are you? Now, how many of us would be like, thanks, and just grab life immediately? For Paul to sit there and think about it, you know what, I might, yeah, I might take death though, actually. Because for him, he would gain in death. We need to grapple with that. And if that choice wouldn't be a hard choice for us, I think that's a problem. And I say that for myself. I think it'd be a problem for me. I don't imagine myself just sitting there going, oh yeah, let me, let me think about this for a second. Ask the guard to give me, give me another day. I want to sleep on it. We need to embrace death as gain if we're going to be hard-pressed like he is. But the reason why death is gain for him is not because he wants to leave this world. He's tired of it. He's tired of people. He's sick of political unrest. He just wants to go to a better place. No, that's not his reason at all, actually. Death isn't gain because it's a personal relief to him. Death isn't gain because he is suicidal. Death isn't gained for him because it's, he's depressed. He's just so full of grief. It's not about what he's leaving behind. It's what he'd be going to. He would gain Christ. Christ would be exalted in his presence with Christ. So think of it this way. When is the last time you couldn't wait to see somebody? Maybe it was a long, uh, a long time friend you haven't seen in a long time, and you just... It's so fulfilling to be with this person. You just haven't seen them in years because of life circumstances. Or some of those stories you share when you're around the table with friends and you tell them the time you got to meet this big celebrity. Are you kidding me? You met that person? Yeah, it was, here's the situation. Or if you were granted the opportunity to meet someone that you really respect, an author, hopefully not somebody corny like an actor, you know, but somebody that wrote something that meant something to you, and you move your schedule to go meet this person in the flesh and not just through YouTube or not just through reading their books. I mean, multiply that by, by infinity. The best friend you could ever have. The person you long to be with in person because they always have the right thing to say. Jesus will say the perfect words when you see him. He is your ultimate hero. He died for you. He gave you life. He brought peace and order into your life. And you get to see him in the flesh. We're not talking about a fuzzy figure back in the corner somewhere. Jesus Christ is now in the flesh. That is the doctrine of ascension that we covered when we walked through the Apostles' Creed. He was born in the flesh, and then when he ascended, his body didn't plop on the floor, and his spirit went up. It's a physical presence with Christ that Paul is envisioning. I get to be with Christ? And he's not thinking about family, get-togethers. He's thinking about which one gives me ultimate presence with Christ. Right? I don't have to look through faith anymore. I can use my actual eyes, touch him, see him, be with him, sit with him, converse with him. I want that because I want Christ. And for us, we don't long for death and we don't see death as gain because Christ is like, man, 
What we really long for is something wrapped under the tree. Death would interrupt Christmas. Death would interrupt career path. Death would interrupt college. I didn't get to marry yet. Well, marriage is just a picture of the ultimate bridegroom. (laughs) Forget the picture. Jesus Christ is the ultimate groom. And so Paul is like, I get to leave all the shadows, all the pictures, and I get to be in the real deal. Imagine your entire life having a famous favorite painting up on your wall and longing and wishing you can be in that place. And then you finally get to be in that place. Forget the painting, you're there. And for Paul, it's Christ. It's not golden streets and crystal waters. It's not, I get to see what angels look like. I get to leave arthritis behind. Really great perks. He's not concerned with that. He's concerned with gaining Jesus Christ himself. A friend that he hasn't seen since he interrupted his persecution quest on the road to Damascus. Last time I saw him as an enemy, I want to see him now as a friend. That's Paul's goal. That's his game. And if you know Christ, that's your game. Nothing this life has to offer can hold a candle to what you gain if you know Christ. If you love him and he's put his love in you. Not only that, but death can be a privilege. It's not just that he might go out, it's how he might go out that makes it such a privilege. They're going to kill me for ministry? I get to be a martyr? Christ is exalted in that kind of death. Where all I have to do is renounce Christ and they'll let me go. And he's like, no, no. You're just making me want to exalt Christ more because if you kill me while I'm exalting Christ... It honors him even more. His name is proclaimed that much more loudly. Christians are that much more encouraged. So bring it on. Now the question you might be asking, you probably should be asking, is well, should we just long for death? How about suicide? Or how about a long suicide where I don't see the doctor, don't fix my diet, don't drive with a seatbelt on because, hey, death is gain. And the answer is no, but it might not be for the reasons you think. Paul is saying, no, no, I'm hard-pressed between the two. It is a tough choice, but if I have to choose, I choose to stay and not die. And the reason is not because I have many years left. I haven't gotten to do my European tour trip yet. I haven't retired yet. I haven't seen grandkids yet. That that, that has nothing to do with why he chooses life instead of death. His reason for life is still Christ. I have to delay seeing him, but in delaying seeing Christ, I get to serve Christ. And here's the thing, when death comes, my service for Christ, in that sense, is over. The preparatory service will serve Christ for eternity. But, you know, the, the story of the talents, where the master gives talents, and then the master returns, and he's like, what'd you do? Well, I invested it. Great. Oh, I buried it. You're going to hell. In other words, the Christian is the, the person that sees their life as an investment for eternity with Christ. They're investing in what Christ has put in them for Christ, for other Christians. 
The non-Christian just buries it and does whatever they want, and they're just holding out. Or the person that thinks they're Christian and they're not. That category of person that kind of shows up to church, but their life isn't Christ. Their life is Christian, but their life isn't Christ. And there's a difference. That person should also be scared. Because the, the options here are to die and gain Christ, but the person who would gain Christ by dying is also the person that lives life a certain way before dying. Do you live like that? Or do you just bump along from month to month, week to week, day to day, until death takes you and you're like, oops, what, did I serve Christ? And I, sorry to tell you, ah, well, I, I went to church. Eh. Mm. Did you serve Christ? Think about his singular focus. Now, I know that Paul is an apostle, but you think about all that Paul has taught his people. He's not writing the Philippians going, this has nothing to do with you. I'm just giving you my vision for life. Well, he's trying to encourage them to live a certain way. When he writes the Corinthians, for example, and he gets to that famous chapter 12 and starts unpacking for them the various gifts, like Gordon taught us last week, we are many parts of a body of Christ. So we don't go, well, Paul was an apostle. He had a certain role, right? And you also have a certain role. You're a nose, a hand, a foot, an eye. And we are not ones to say, well, these people have ten talents. I only have five. These people have five talents. I only have one. It doesn't matter. The one little talent that you have, that you think the church could go without, that you think people might not miss if you didn't do it, Christ has invested that in you. Do it. Do it with gusto. Allow that to define your life so that your job, your career, everything else you do is to support that as the goal of your life. So move the things that you do to serve other Christians from a side compartment in your life to the main thing and then everything else a side compartment for that main thing because otherwise, why are you here? Why isn't death better? You'd die and you would gain Christ. The only reason Paul has for not wanting to choose death. If he's, hypothetically, if he had the option, he's not talking about taking his own life. He's talking about this execution he's facing. His only reason for it is to serve others, to serve Christ by serving others in Christ. Watch this. He says, Christ, in verse 20, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, or by death. We talked about how Christ will be honored if he dies, but what we haven't talked about yet is how Christ would be honored if he lives. In my body, I'll use my body to exalt Christ in life. How does he do that? Listen, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful, verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better for him, but it's not far better for people that would be missing out on his Christian service to them. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary. Why? On your account, Philippians, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
My reason for living is for others to glorify Christ more because of some impact I've had in their lives to that end. Everything else is a waste of time. What's your purpose for living? We all know suicide is wrong and suicide is selfish. We sometimes miss why suicide is wrong and suicide is selfish. It's not just selfish because the rest of the family would be sitting at the table and constantly have that big hole in their hearts, reminding them of it when they see the empty chair. It's because the people that you're supposed to minister to with your spiritual gifts, with your knowledge of Scripture, with your knowledge of the Gospel, with your knowledge of Christ, the people that are supposed to be getting that from you won't be getting that from you anymore, and that's why you shouldn't go. That's why you should eat better. Debatable whether masks work, but if they do, that's why you do it. Not any other reason. If you want to stay around longer for your grandkids, it's to impact them for Christ. Not to smell their little cute necks. That's cool. That's a blessing. To push them on a swing. And I hope I get there one day. But if I do all of the grandpa things without doing Christ things, I'm a waste of a grandfather. Don't live your life for you. And don't live out your life just waiting it out. Serve Christ. And if your life isn't worth living to serve Christ, then death isn't worth gaining for Christ. Death will never be gained to me if my life isn't already defined by Christ. You can't have one without the other. If you don't have your life defined now by service to Christ, then death isn't much gain for you. You don't love him now, why are you going to love him later? It's a service to other people. Look at the effect that it has on people. It's necessary for their account. He's not just saying in verse 24, it's nice for people. It's really nice when people feel nice that I do nice things for them in the name of niceness, right? It's necessary. You need me. And Paul's not being uh, arrogant. He knows really ultimately what they need is Christ, but he understands Christ has ascended and through his spirit... He uses people to do Christian things. As we heard last week, we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And when we pull back and allow something else to dominate our lives, we are like a crippled hand or the foot that doesn't work or the leg that that can't hold up the weight anymore, the nose that doesn't smell, the eye that can't see any longer. We don't want to be limp members of the body of Christ. We want to be active because other people need it, in verse 24. So he wants to remain and continue with them for the progress and joy of the faith of other people. He wants them to enjoy their faith. He wants them to enjoy their faith in Christ. He wants them to grow in their faith in Christ. Unwittingly, many of us have adopted a consumeristic approach to Christianity. I'll go to that service if I get something out of it. Who's preaching today? I think I'll go today. What book are they going through? Maybe I'll take a pass. One of the reasons why I think prayer meetings are the hardest meetings to get people to come to, you don't get anything out of it. What are you going to get? There's no song. There's no sermon. 
come pray. It's like, eh, I get it. I get it. Trust me. I understand. I'm just as broken. I'm just as much in need of a passage like this to remind me I don't go to church because I'm going to get something out of it. I go to church because other people need me. And that's not an arrogant thing. That's a scriptural thing. If you're a Christian, God has given you the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You're a walking tabernacle of God. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. God says he thinks that of you. And he's imbued you with spiritual gifts, not for you, for other people. If you're stuck watching it at home, you should be longing to get back here. Why? Because we're keeping attendance? No, because we're missing you. He wants to get out of prison so bad, and it's not to save his own neck. He would prefer to lose his neck. He wants to get out of prison badly because he wants to see other people smile when they learn something new about Christ through his ministry to them. So that in verse 26, in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I think my favorite time of year probably now that I'm thinking about it, better than Christmas, better than my birthday, is Pastor Appreciation Month. And it's not the cards and the gifts, although keep, keep those coming. Those are, those are great. But it's those little handwritten notes about something I preached or something I said or some visit I made that altered your view of Christ or encouraged you in the faith if something's gonna make me break down crying it's that note and i i hear that when i see paul saying this and i don't think it's specific to pastors i want you to get notes like that i was down and you encouraged me with a word i was distraught and you prayed with me and even though you're not the apostle paul even though you don't write scripture even though you're not world famous even though there may not be a long line of people waiting to meet you in heaven. I'll be in that line because you encouraged me in that moment. The Lord used you in that moment to encourage me. We dare not think lowly of our participation in Christ through the church. People don't need me. Yes, they do. God puts you there for a reason. Now, if you need help discovering that, if you're like, man, I want to serve, I just don't know how, ask us. We will plug you in. We'll find ways for you to serve others. And it might be something as simple as writing a card, making a phone call, letting somebody know you prayed for them, downloading that prayer list when it comes out, and actually praying through that list and lifting them up, shooting them a text. I just prayed for you right now. It wasn't for five hours straight. It wasn't in a closet, but I just lifted you up to the Lord. That's encouraging for people. Understand that you are necessary for others to grow in their faith. And let that define your life. And when that defines your life, that's your reason for continuing in this life. So that to die is gain, but to continue living, to continue living is to continue serving. It's to continue serving. The difference between life and death should be a hard choice. But it should be a hard choice for the right reasons. I was reminded 
uh, this week preparing for this message that old phrase, you probably have heard it many times, no one on their deathbed will regret, uh, will wish that they had spent more time in the office. I'm sure you've heard that. No one on their deathbed is going to sit, lie there, wishing they had spent more time in the office. Paul would disagree. If by office we mean putting in work for Christ. Because Paul's saying, you might be on your deathbed one day, thinking back, wishing you had spent more time in the service of Christ, because you're about to meet him, and he's going to be like, how'd you do? How'd you do with what I gave you? Is he really going to interrogate me? That's what the parable of the talents is about. He's the master that's like, all right, let's see how you did with what I gave you. Then you can't say, well, you didn't give me as much as somebody else. That's okay. Let somebody else, I'll judge them. What did I give you? But what you gave me is small. Okay, did you use it? No, I buried it. We don't want to say that. Yes, I used it as much as I could. As much as you enabled me, I used it. And I was so blessed when I saw other people blessed by my ministry. I think a lot of the people with long lines in front of them in heaven are not going to be the people that are up here. I think it's going to be the people in the corners of the church doing the, the trench work that have a maximal impact on the lives of other people. So it may not be through giving a sermon. It might be through those small touches right, that God uses through your gifts for the encouragement, joy, and progress in the faith of those around you. Let's let church define our lives but not as going to church, but serving church, serving other people. And let that be our greatest encouragement so that if death comes knocking at our door, we can welcome it. But if we want it to stay a little longer, let that be for the right reasons, to serve others in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, this hard message to apply that we'd be empowered by your spirit to apply it and we begin to think about our lives a different way may we think about death a different way and allow christ to define all of it rather than sort of being a piece a small cog and something bigger there is nothing bigger than christ and we need your spirit, as the text tells us. We need the prayers of each other to live like this. So, Father, in this crazy time where people are thinking about death and morbidity and causes and all that kind of stuff, may we be a voice of hope and encouragement that the meaning of death changes when the meaning of our lives change. And we ask that you would allow us to adopt that and exemplify that. And for us to live is Christ. As we sing this closing song, would you massage that into our hearts deeper so we can live it? And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.